millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Everybody's talking about this big green new deal proposal, you know, that suggests that we should be able to solve climate change in in just 10 years, even if at the same time, we're also giving everyone free college and free health care and a and a guaranteed income. I, I know it's called the Green New Deal, but there's one carbon free energy solution that it really doesn't talk about, apart from suggesting that today's nuclear plants ought to be phased out. And that is is nuclear power. I mean, there's there's no it doesn't see that as part of the solution. No, I think that for a lot of people who've signed on, they see nuclear power as part of the problem, which is a shame. I mean, here's the best tool we have to actually bring down our carbon emissions, and they want to shut it down. Well, well, that's your opinion. <laughs> You're going to hear a lot of my opinion on this show today, Richard. Oh, my goodness. What have we signed up for? The Green Case for Nuclear Power, a discussion and a debate. Today, something different on how do we fix it. Jim is this week's expert guest. With a liberal use of the term expert. Okay, okay. But you did write a very interesting, well-researched cover story in the latest edition of the magazine City Journal. And it has the scintillating headline, The Nuclear Option. I I think the headline writers could have come up with something better. But, But you argue that a growing number of environmentalists now say that we need to keep our current nuclear plants running and actually build more of them. That's right. You know, I grew up in the age when environmentalists really saw nuclear power as a kind of a deal with the devil. And I was out there protesting it in Central Park along with everybody else. But that's been changing. And increasingly, scientists, especially people who are concerned about climate change, are coming around to recognize that nuclear power is really not just important but necessary if we're going to have any hope of actually bringing down our carbon emissions. Okay, but there are some strong arguments or at least concerns about nuclear power, so let's walk through them. Are you ready to defend your your strident position? I was born ready. (laughs) So let's start with the first big objection, which is that nuclear power is just too dangerous after disasters at Three Mile Island uh, back in the 70s, then Chernobyl in the 80s, and much more recently, Fukushima in Japan. Yes, and here's what's really interesting about those disasters. They actually didn't kill that many people. Um, If you look at Three Mile Island, no one died at Three Mile Island. It was an expensive 
mistake that, as one nuclear advocate says, they bricked a reactor. You know, it, it won't work anymore. They, that cost them some money, but it didn't really endanger the public's health. Chernobyl was, was a complete disaster. Partly it was a disaster in the, in the horrifically bad Soviet Union era. It was a very, very unsafe design. It was very badly managed. Then the accident itself was the management. That was completely bungled. Even so, even with all that, there were all these predictions that there would be hundreds of thousands of fatalities and maybe millions. Really, there's about 50 people can be shown to have been killed by the radiation from that plant. Isn't there some amount of doubt, though, as to the precise numbers? Yes. And, and maybe some people got cancer who wouldn't have done it. Yes. We don't yes. really know. We don't know. And there's a, good, there's a huge debate in epidemiology. What is the impact of very, very low levels of radiation? So there was one estimate by the UN that said that it seemed likely that about 4,000 additional people would get cancer and die of it at some time in their lifetimes, over an area where, you know, where millions of people are going to get cancer. And Fukushima, what what about there? Fascinating. So initially, there were no deaths from radiation. Just this past fall, the Japanese government confirmed that one worker who was exposed to radiation above the, the recommended levels succumbed to lung cancer about seven years after the accident. A lot of people who were evacuated, especially older people, wound up dying uh, over a thousand, in fact, from the dislocation, interruptions in medical care and whatnot. But also other forms of power generation also carry their own risks. Absolutely. Especially coal and oil. Yeah, since the 60s, the beginning of the era of nuclear power, more than 10,000 people have been killed in coal mining accidents. The pollution from coal plants, tens of, of, of thousands or more around the world, is recently, is just about 10 years ago, the American Lung Association was estimating that coal pollution killed over 10,000 people a year, just here in the U.S., where the plants were relatively clean. Now, related to uh, certainly Fukushima and Chernobyl, when there's a bad nuclear accident, right. there are very large numbers of people who are displaced and whole areas around Chernobyl and also Fukushima became uninhabitable. But they weren't uninhabitable. That's the funny thing. Well, but they are around Chernobyl. You've still got places where people can't live. But they do, and they're doing fine. So are you saying that those towns should be re-inhabited completely? Well, I, mean, Chern- I mean, I thought the people who were around Chernobyl were kind of living off the grid. They were, and... Check, to go check their health. It's not so bad. Um, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be careful about radiation. Obviously, an open, massive release of radiation like you had at Chernobyl is a terrible thing. Yeah. And you have to evacuate the nearby areas. Fukushima, with much more modern information and, and better radiation monitoring, the, the, there's a very good case to be made that the government was far too aggressive. But My, I, don't, I don't think you can get the, the, the fear level down to zero, Jim. I so, really don't. And I think that's a cost of nuclear power. I think the cost is when people don't fear stuff that does kill them, like pollution from coal-fired power plants, like oil. Have you heard of Deepwater Horizon, a little oil well that happened to blow up in the Gulf of Mexico? That's where the energy for our cars gets. There was an oil train driving across Quebec in 2014 that went off the rails and killed 47 people. We barely even talk about that. You know, in this country, more people have died falling off of roofs, installing solar panels than have died in the entire history of nuclear power. So are people afraid of it? Yes. Should they be afraid of it to the degree they are? Absolutely not. And that fear has distorted our policies. The promotion of that fear by certain anti-nuclear advocates is, I think, a tragedy because it has it has 
made it so much more difficult to get these plants built, and we're paying a huge cost for that environmentally today. Speaking of plants shutting down, in in two years, the Indian Point nuclear plant, which is about 35 miles up the Hudson River from where we are speaking right now in, in New York City, that plant is going to close down forever. Um, a lot of people pretty thrilled about that. Um, and uh, New York Governor uh, Andrew Cuomo has, has, has been very much an opponent of, of nuclear power. But you say the shutdown of that plant is a tragedy. Yes, yes. I, it's heartbreaking. We're shutting down our biggest source of carbon-free power. It's a quarter of the electricity consumed it's a quarter of the electricity consumed in the New York metro area. And it's all carbon-free. It's as if we all put solar panels on our roofs. When they shut that down, we were promised that wind and solar will take the place of it. In fact, Yeah, it, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, so yeah. that, that's what's being said now. Is right. that New York can have renewable, and, and not just New York. This isn't just about New York. It's about other states right. and other countries. But, but New York can have renewable electricity um, supplied by wind and solar, we, and that will completely replace right. what Indian Point is doing. Well, they said that in Vermont when they shut down the Vermont Yankee plant. Their CO2 emissions went up. They said that in Germany when they shut down a lot of their plants after Fukushima. And, you know, they've spent over $500 billion building wind and solar facilities. Their carbon emissions went up. What if you built the wind and solar in addition? You'd be way farther ahead on your roadmap to reducing your carbon emissions. If you shut down your nuclear plants first, it's kind of like saying, I'm determined to win this race. But first, let me back up about 200 yards behind the start line before the, before the race even starts. Okay, I'm with you if you're saying we need to throw everything at climate change. We need to have as many uh, carbon-free sources of power as possible, including nuclear. Right. Where I'm not with you, and I'm certainly not with the hardcore people like Michael Schellenberger who say, shut down subsidies for wind and solar and put them all to nuclear power. I mean, that, that seems extremist to me. Are they working? What? Yeah, sure. Of course, they're working. They're, they're, wind, wind farms are producing good amounts of power in many parts of the country, and and solar is all the time producing more power than it did the year before. So, yes, is it reducing yes. our carbon emissions? Well, I would think it would. Oh, you be. would why, assume, why, right? Yes, we would all assume. Absolutely, I would assume it would be. And it also does something else, which is something nuclear doesn't do, is that if I have a solar panel on my roof, I'm invested personally in trying to solve this problem. So, and so, that is a very strong so argument it in makes, favor of solar. Okay, but do we agree that we should do the things that work? We should do everything that works, okay. not one thing. So let's break this out. We have two different arguments on nuclear. One is, can we keep the plants we have running open? And then the other is, should we build more? So when people say nuclear power is too expensive to build, that's a debate to have. But right now, there's people advocating to shut down nuclear plants in New York, in California, in Pennsylvania. And the investments in wind and solar, turns out, are not enough to make up the reduction. So even if you've invested all this money in wind and solar, your um, your carbon emissions don't go down. They haven't gone down. California has invested more than any other state. They pay twice. They are the 50% more for electricity than, than consumers in other states. Their CO2 but, emissions haven't fallen but, significantly But what about Texas, which has a huge amount of, of power coming out? They've got a lot. Of, they're getting a lot of wind. That's great. Yeah. Um, so 
Um, so, but my point isn't that there shouldn't be any subsidy to wind and solar. But what I am saying is that those subsidies have backfired big time. And here's why. And it's a little bit of a complicated argument. When you build a lot of wind and solar, you have this capacity to make a lot of power really inexpensively when it's being made. When it's a sunny day, the solar power is churned out. You know, windy weeks, you get a lot of wind power, but it's very unpredictable. Um, so anytime you invest, if you build a megawatt of wind and solar capacity, you also have to build a megawatt of backup capacity. What is that? In the U.S. today, that's almost always natural gas. So while they're adding, in New York State, they're adding all this wind and solar, they're also building giant natural gas power plants to cover the production when those other sources aren't producing. So but then there's one other thing that, that, that happens. Because those sources do produce some of the time, while they're producing, they drive down the, the, the price of, of electricity. If you have a big plant like a nuclear plant or a coal plant that runs more steadily, that can't be cranked up and down quickly the way a natural gas plant can, all of a sudden you're operating at a loss. On that sunny afternoon, for those few hours when all of a sudden the electricity price drops to practically nothing, you're operating at a loss. These subsidies are just enough to drive the economics of these nuclear plants into the red a little bit. Well, I also Uh, think that the problem for nuclear power is that it's a heck of a lot more expensive than gas and coal. Um, No, actually, the the coal plants are being forced out of business, and that's a good thing. Let's salute that. Yes. That's a good thing. I'm saying the subsidies of wind and solar are so high— that they've they haven't actually succeeded in producing in in turning our grid green, but they have resulted in uh, undermining the economics of the existing nuclear power plants. So some of them are being shut down. Here's the outcome: our CO two emissions go up when that happens. Yeah, yeah, I hear you there. But even if there wasn't a lot of subsidies to wind and solar you'd still have a cost problem with nuclear power. Not necessarily. They're being driven out of business by uh, this intermittent wind and solar. But again, because the wind and solar is intermittent, it needs to be backed up by natural gas. Wouldn't we be better off if it was backed up by nuclear instead of adding, developing new infrastructure to burn more fossil fuels? You do have this problem around the world. You had Westinghouse Electric went bankrupt. You've mm-hmm. got Hitachi, which is getting out of nuclear power plants entirely. Building a nuclear power plant takes an incredible amount of time. I mean, there, there's a quote that I did some research here yeah. uh, from investment banker Liam Denning, uh, who's a former Wall Street Journal writer, who says, I doubt there will be any new large reactors built in this country, in the U.S., as long as natural gas prices stay below uh, $8 per million BTU and that renewable technology remain in favor. Now, yes, yeah. you've got the, the argument that you made, which is a strong one about right. subsidies to, to solar and wind, but you also have the fact that because of fracking, natural gas is just cheaper I mean, yeah. it, 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 than, than nuclear. Right, right. Natural gas has been very cheap. That's part of what has driven the coal plants out of business, which is good news. And natural gas is way better than coal in terms of carbon emissions, but it's not carbon-free the way nuclear is. So this is where, you know, usually I'm the libertarian on the show. Mm-hmm. I actually... Yeah, you're, uh, arguing, you're arguing for subsidies, for government, uh, big government subsidies for nuclear power. Not big. I'm arguing to divert some portion of the subsidies that currently go 
to wind and solar and have this perverse effect of forcing utilities to shut down their biggest sources of carbon uh, free power. And then um, and and ultimately, I would like to see us get to an area where we don't need a lot of subsidies, but the current system is encouraging the overdevelopment, the over-reliance on natural gas. That's bad for a couple of reasons. One is it, it emits a lot of carbon. Two, it's um, we, if we get to the day when our entire power grid is wind and solar on one side and natural gas on the other, then it's not very resilient. I like the idea of having a little more diversity in the power grid, and I think nuclear power can be a big part of that. More on safety and money arguments over nuclear power coming right up. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. He's the expert guest. (laughs) If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's Burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I get your point that nuclear power is reliable and that wind and solar often aren't because of weather conditions. Um, And so nuclear should be part of the mix. But shouldn't the long-term goal be much smaller, more local forms of power, which certainly include solar panels on roofs and people producing their own power in a decentralized way with a smart power grid. We haven't talked about smart yeah, power yeah. grid yet. I love the smart power grid. I'm looking at putting solar panels on my roof. I think I think that that's a that's a great advance. But but we have to be honest about whether it's going to work to produce the vast majority of our power. And there was a really interesting study out of MIT last year that looked at this and, and decided that trying to run the grid entirely on renewables, no matter how much you, you develop a smart grid, um, is, would be cost prohibitive. Is, is that the case even if you do things like, for instance, much better building insulation or you look at our transport system and reduce the amount of power that it consumes? Well, well, so let, let, right now, I'm, we're just, so far, we've just been talking about electricity. Um, okay. And, you know, yes, our, we, our transport system is, is 
could be much more efficient. Yes, houses could be more efficient. It's this kind of utopian dream of, of decentralized. Everybody's got their own little little um, solar panel and, and that, that this will solve the problem. I actually, I'm arguing for more power. We don't want to use less electricity. We want to use more. I'd like to see us convert things that today we're burning fossil fuels to do, like heating your house, driving your car, buses, garbage trucks, long, you know, transportation. I'd like to see all of that stuff go electric. We need some power plants like Indian Point so that now we can make more power and then use that to decarbonize other elements of our economy. Let's look at another aspect of safety. What about the risk that terrorists will attack a nuclear power plant or that bad actors will try in some way get in the middle of it and and cause a meltdown? Yeah, yeah, fascinating. Um, So I visited uh, Indian Point and they have, it's like entering a... uh, a high security prison, really. I mean, the layers and layers of security they have and, you know, paramilitary kind of defenses if needed. But you know what? To date, virtually every um, every attack on a nuclear power plant has come from anti-nuclear advocates. Greenpeace just last year in France crashed a drone into a plant in France as part of some stunt to prove that nuclear power is bad. Uh, terrorists have not succeeded in in making trouble at nuclear power plants for, for a number of reasons. Of course you need good security, but you need good security in almost anything you do, you know? Um, but the idea that terrorists could cause a meltdown is, you know, nothing's impossible, but very unlikely. The idea that you could crash an airplane into a plant and cause some kind of release, again, extremely unlikely because those things are surrounded by massive steel concrete containment domes. Let's talk about Waste. Um, Waste created by nuclear reactors remains radioactive for tens of thousands of years. The U.S. and other countries have yet to decide on exactly how to handle spent fuel or high-level radioactive waste. Uh, Most is stored in temporary above-ground facilities, and some of those facilities are running out of storage space. So those are legitimate concerns, aren't they? Yes. Oh, absolutely. And it's, it's embarrassing that we haven't come up with a political solution to uh, to storing nuclear waste. You know, there was an investment in developing this Yucca Mountain facility that would have been very safe, but it was challenged and, and never really happened. But this, here's this the one in Nevada. Yes, right? yeah. but here's the reality. All of the nuclear waste ever produced globally for, uh, for electric power could fit on one football field stacked about 50 feet deep. It's just not that much. The volume of waste from nuclear power is extremely minimal. So right now they store it on site in these pools for a while, and then they move it to these what they call dry casks. It's a, it looks like a small grain silo. It's layers and layers of concrete. It's very safe. It's very stable. The, the fuel is cool enough that there's no risk of anything bad happening to it. The idea that we're running out of space is all that means is well maybe some where they need to build another one of these things the and, size and where, of a swimming pool. Where would they pool. be built? Somewhere yeah, where well, nobody on, lives? No, you, usually right now they're stored in the plants themselves, and which seems like a bad solution. Until you think, well, no, they've already invested in all the security mm-hmm. and and the staff and everything. That's actually a pretty good place to store the fuel. It's not ideal, but this is a this is a trumped up problem. It's like all, everything with nuclear. Yes, 
there's inherent risk. There's inherent danger to it. We need to manage it carefully, but these are not insoluble problems in an era of modern technology. Let's look at another one, and it's, it's a word that I really struggle to pronounce, which is nuclear proliferation. Does the development of, of nuclear energy programs increase the likelihood of the proliferation proliferation uh, of nuclear weapons. Hasn't that been one of the concerns it about has been. Iran yeah. developing nuclear power? Well, their, their, um, their nuclear weapons efforts have nothing to do with nuclear power. Uh, you know, the, the uranium that you use in a nuclear reactor... So there's no, there's no link between the technology. Well, you I learn mean, one thing and then maybe you apply it to something else. Theoretically, I guess. Um, the record of developed countries using nuclear power has been it's been very safe. I mean none of that material has escaped into the hands of of people trying to to build weapons. The reason why I raise that is because of a study around uh, the future of nuclear power from MIT, mm -hmm. which was actually fairly balanced. And they certainly weren't saying we shouldn't have any nuclear power. But they said the reprocessing system for nuclear power now used in, in Europe, Japan, and Russia that involves the separation and recycling of plutonium mm -hmm. presents an unwarranted proliferation risks. Well, you don't have to recycle a fuel. <laughs> you okay. know, but, um, but, but this stuff is happening. I mean, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I mean, are there issues here that need to be managed? Yeah. Sure. Are there um, are there some countries that maybe we wouldn't be so keen to see building reactors? Sure. And there's also international agreements to to manage that. But is a commercial nuclear reactor a particular risk for a weapons of mass destruction? I don't think so. I think it's there are are much bigger risks, as, and we look at countries like Pakistan and Iran and North Korea that uh, have nothing to do with commercial nuclear power. Let's look again at, at the costs. Of, yeah. For instance, building a new nuclear power plant, uh, they're really expensive to build. I mean, you've got the the vocal i think it's yeah. vocal plant mm -hmm. in georgia i'm not sure how to pronounce it which is the only nuclear plant under construction in the u.s today and the costs have ballooned to over 20 billion dollars yes. and there have yes. also been real problems in south carolina as well yeah after three mile island and, and chernobyl there was a legitimate concern about the safety of plants and trying to make them make sure they're safe they're as safe as possible and advancing technology that was a good thing but there was almost an overreaction to the point where we layered so many layers of, of regulation and litigation on plants that it became extremely difficult and, and time-consuming to get plants built. That brings up the cost. And then there was this push for more and more advanced types of reactors, uh, like the Westinghouse AP1000 reactor. There's two of those being built at that Vogtel plant. Um, but let me make a contrast. In Korea, they've been sticking to more or less the same. This is South Korea, hopefully. Yes, <laughs> not North Korea. South Korea happens to be one of the world leaders in, in, yeah. in nuclear power plant construction. They've been building more or less the same type of reactors for something like thirty years, and um, they make minor refinements and improvements along the way. But when a construction crew comes in to build a plant, they've built that same plant. Before the engineers know how to run it, they know how to operate it. Their costs are going down with each plant they built. They're getting better at it, and their costs are going down. We can stick with tried and true designs that are perfectly safe but aren't as expensive to build. Before we get off this subject, Sweden 
interesting yes. example. Um, the, there where they've got, I think, uh, 95% carbon-free power, if right. only uh, right. f- for us. So what's going on in Sweden? Well, they have two things. They have a lot of hydropower, which is nice. Not every right. country has that. Um, but mostly they made a decision to invest heavily in nuclear power, as did France. So both of those countries, they, are the, they have the lowest carbon uh, footprints uh, of, uh, in Europe, whereas, again, Germany spent $500 billion on wind and solar. Guess what? They're still getting 40% of their electricity from, from coal, a lot of it very dirty coal. They're spreading coal pollution across the rest of Europe, and they are the, Europe's biggest contributor to global warming. Jim Maggs, thank you very much. Usually at this stage of, of, the, of the show, of how do we fix it, you and I have a conversation. But you're the guest, so you, you don't get to be part of this last bit of the show. You can talk to yourself. I, I have a conversation with myself. And, so. and here's what I think. I, I think that, that nuclear power has to be part of the mix. But I wonder... And I don't want the guest to, because the guest is already gone, so the guest can't speak. So I, I wonder whether the guest hasn't overstated the case a little bit. And, and I worry about the cost. I don't think, and, and based on some reading I've done, the MIT survey especially, uh, also and Bloomberg, have, have raised some real questions. Uh, they're not denunciations. They're questions about the economics of, of nuclear power. So I'm going to leave it at that. It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Richard Davies. And, <laughs> and I don't and, get to talk. And he doesn't get to talk. And, and, it's, and, it, and our show is a production of Davies Content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. And we do so only with the enormous help of our sound designer, Miranda Schaefer. Thanks for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.